Hi, welcome to Aberrant Behavior. I'm your host, Christabel. In this episode, we're going to talk about my healing journey. Uh, if you saw the title, it said Engaged at 15 and to jail stints by 25. I should also add two divorces by 34. That's quite a resume, huh? Well, my life has been quite a life. I have come a long way and I just want to kind of talk about what has brought me to a place of healing, what has helped me navigate it, but it's kind of hard for me to talk about where I am today without talking about where I've been. And so... This is going to be like an emotional episode for me, but I think it's necessary for us to understand uh, that we may not be alone and we can see our life experiences in the life experiences of others and that there is hope uh, that it's not once broken, always broken. So uh, we'll start from... My life as a kid who was raised by a single mom. My mom escaped her marriage to an abusive husband who was my father at 28. She had two kids on her hip. Uh, Me, three years old. My brother, uh, one year old. She, my dad beat her uh, on a pretty consistent basis and it got to a point where she just decided that she couldn't do it anymore. She had to leave and she had to leave with her children. So that's what she did. She uh, took on the difficult task of raising two children by herself. My dad had been the breadwinner. My mom was educated. She was a teacher, but she could not support two children on the on a teacher's salary. This was, what is it? 1988 in Nigeria, in rural Nigeria. So she decided to leave the country, move to Ghana to try to find a better life for herself and for her two kids, but mostly for her two kids. We were, we were what she worked for. Uh, Her whole life was dedicated to making sure that we were fed we had a house, we had a roof over our head, we had clothes on our back, we went to schools, we, we got a good education, and that was what she was focused on, on doing. So providing emotional support for us was not paramount there. But again, she can only do what she knows how to do. So I don't think she grew up receiving much emotional support from her parents either. So, I mean, how would she know how to give that? And so I have a lot of empathy in in my later years uh, towards her about that. So that led to her hustling a lot, working a lot, trying to feed us and not being around a ton. She disciplined us in, in, in the way she knew how to. If I had an opinion about something, it was seen as disrespect. And to correct disrespect, you had to 
you had to beat the kid. And I wasn't an easy kid. I think I was, a, I was, a, I was just perfect the way I was. As a kid, a, a kid is a kid is a kid, right? But my personality was, has always been one of questioning. I ask a lot of questions. So I asked a lot of questions and a lot of whys and why should I do this or why should I do that? Uh, why can't I do this and why can't I do that? I asked a lot of questions of a mother who was just trying to feed us and she did not always handle those questions uh, very well. So I got a lot of beating uh, when I was growing up uh, and Dr. Nicole uh, of Holistic Psychology says this, when your reality is ignored as a child, you develop certain behaviors that that puts you in a place where you're accepted by your caregiver. So I developed a lot of coping mechanisms and a lot of behaviors, and those things became my sense of self in adulthood, whereas it was just coping mechanisms um, that I put on to protect myself and to make sure that I kept being fed and clothed by my primary caregiver, who was my mom. And in fact, a lot of the traumas that I've gone, I went through, I don't even have a full recollection of. So my childhood memory is pretty shitty. Even the good ones, I can barely remember anything about myself from, let's see, I, I remember certain things when I was much younger, but from 10 to 14, I don't remember very much. And I, in therapy, I've discovered that that has a lot to, a lot of people who've been through pretty traumatic pasts uh, have that experience. I got into my first relationship at 15. I was in fact engaged to a 36 year old. <laughs> wow, right? I want to say that he was the first person I had sex with, but I don't even fully remember that because I just, that period is such a blur in my mind. But I remember thinking, he wants to marry me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to save me from my mom, who I hated, hated. I hated her growing up so much. Uh, we have a different relationship now. It's still pretty complex, but uh, I definitely don't hate her. I love her, uh, but our relationship is definitely complex. But as a 15-year-old, I was thinking, here's this man who wants to marry me. He was also a Jehovah's Witness. He was respected in the congregation. Why no one batted an eye at this, I don't understand. Why my mom didn't say... That's still something I don't fully understand. Maybe she told me that it was a bad decision and I was belligerent and still chose to accept this engagement ring from this man, a grown man. Maybe I just wasn't listening. I don't know. But what I know is that everyone knew that we were engaged and we were going to get married at some point. They, he was going to wait for me to get old enough for us to get married. I don't know what old enough is, was, but I remember uh, 
I got into college fairly young. I was 16 years old, 16 years old when I got into college. And it, I think we kept waiting for me to get into college and then maybe turn 17 or 18 before we finally got married. But yeah, I was engaged to a 36 year old as a 15 year old. So, but while I was in college, I broke things off with him because I met someone. I met my uh, who someone who became my boyfriend. Um, I fell in love with him. I fell so madly in love with him, and uh, I he was only eighteen, and so or maybe he was nineteen. I think he was nineteen, and so I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to go for the nineteen year old and ditch the thirty five year old because you know. The 19-year-old was in college right there with me, and he met my need for affection and attention. And so, yeah, ditched that the old creepy man, ditched him for my new, younger, <laughs> more fabulous boyfriend. But yeah, I just basically went from relationship to relationship from as young as I can remember. So from 15, this is kind of fast forwarding, but like from 15 to 34, I was in relationships. And that's not even an exaggeration. Uh, maybe there was six months in there that I was not in some kind of relationship. But even then, I feel like I would I was probably still talking to people. So all I did was relationships, chasing, chasing something. I don't, you know, chasing uh, love and affection and, and, and belonging. And that's just what I kept doing. So uh, in, in the previous episode, I talked about moving to the U.S. at 21. And that was because my boyfriend, my new boyfriend, my 19 year old boyfriend (laughs) had moved to the U.S. And so I decided to come here with him. And so, yeah, I did that. I came to the U.S. We moved, we were, we lived in Chicago. Uh, Within a year of being in the U.S., he and I got into a physical altercation. I was very, um, I was very cantankerous. I don't know what other word to say. I had a lot of violent tendencies. I was a very angry person. I was a very angry young woman. I was always down to like, yeah, let's 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 do this. Like, whatever. I'm not scared of you. You ain't going to talk to me that way. You are not going to treat me that way. Bring it on. That's basically how I I lived my life for a really long time. And so when when we got into that physical altercation, it was in public. So what that meant was that I think someone called the cops on us. Someone called the cops on us and then we both went to jail. We both made bail that next day, but that was my first stint. I I there was we were both charged with domestic violence. It was, it was thrown out. We were not convicted or anything like that. It was thrown out. And, uh, and then I broke up with him because I realized that that was not going to work. We had too many differences. We had, we were basically kids when we met. And at this point we had outgrown each other and to continue in that was just continuing in a destructive pattern. So I broke up with him and, um, 
I moved out on my own. This was in 2007, my first year in the U.S. I had just finished my first year in the U.S. I moved out on my own and, you know, started working and started uh, and then eventually started working towards getting a nursing degree. Because if you know anything about Africans, we become nurses (laughs) in the U.S. No matter what we wear back home, when we come to the U.S., we basically become nurses and a few other things. But Nurses for sure. Uh, so yeah, uh, fast forward to 2008. Uh, this was a, what, a year later. I had met another man in my, I was introduced to someone uh, in, who was a Jehovah's Witness as well. Uh, he looked great on paper. He was ambitious. He had his head on straight and we decided to get married. We dated for a year. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you date with a view to marriage. So we dated from 2008. uh, And actually, we got married two years later. We got married in 2010. So we got married and moved from Chicago to Indiana to uh, pursue our education. He was going to business school and I got into a nursing program in Indiana. So we moved to Indiana 2010 and not even six months into the marriage, we got into a physical altercation. He had tried to choke me and I uh, busted him in the head. I called 911. I was so terrified uh, because I could not breathe. And I defended myself, but I certainly wasn't um, without fault in that relationship. Again, I still continued in the same disturbed pattern. I, you know, it was basically, I was becoming my dad, essentially. I just, a lot of anger, a lot of, a lot of angst uh, against the world. I couldn't name it then. I just thought that was what I had to do. And that's just how it was. And and that's just how, that's just how it, how it was. That's just who I was because that's what I had heard for a really long time growing up about how messed up I am. So that's just what I thought. And I just kept replaying those, those patterns and those stories over and over and over again. So it didn't matter the relationship, the same uh, pattern was you know, prominent. So yeah, we both went to jail and I was in nursing school at this time, living in a small town. The arrest, uh, was published in the papers. I remember that. So when we went to church, everyone at church knew it was very embarrassing. It was very, it was a very traumatic time, even though I didn't even realize how traumatic it was. Uh, but this was only six months into our marriage. We still ended up staying married for four years. In total, after we graduated from, I graduated from nursing school and he graduated from business school, we moved to California. We moved to Berkeley because uh, he had gotten a job and I, you know, we were going to start, we were going to make it work. We were going to try to make it work because that's what you did as a, as a Jehovah's Witness. The only, the only grounds for divorce is uh, infidelity, adultery, and death. Those are the only two grounds. So regardless of how 
traumatic and how um, abusive the relationship was, the marriage was, we did not feel like we had any choice but to stay in it. But towards the end of the marriage, I, I was, you know, okay. So I've always known I was gay. As a 12-year-old girl who was like curious about vaginas, I knew I liked women. That was not a secret to me. But this is what religion and culture and environment does. It does a very good job of suppressing the, the desires and the urge to do anything about those desires. So even though I knew I liked women from before I knew what being a lesbian was, I did not pursue it. I did not do any, I didn't have this angsty teenage years where I, you know, I liked girls and I couldn't do anything about it. I had little things like when I was in college and I would be like, oh, she's cute or, oh, like I wish I could touch her or, or whatever. So I had those moments in college, but I, I was a witness. I was living in Ghana where being, a, being homosexual is illegal and punishable by death, uh, by up to death. And I was being raised by a pretty uh, fearful mother uh, or a mother whom I feared. Um, so I just never pursued anything. So, okay, so come back to the last year of my marriage with my husband, my ex-husband. I began to have these urges come back up very, very strongly, very strongly. I could not ignore them this time around. So yeah, um, for many, we got divorced for many reasons, but certainly one of them was, I was no longer interested in, in being in the marriage. I was no longer interested in having sexual relations with him. I just didn't want to have sex with him anymore. I did not get anything from it and I did not want to continue, um, the charade. Um, at that time I met my ex-girlfriend, um, and we, we started a relationship and, after that happened, I just went ahead and we ended the marriage. We, I, I had to. It was a pretty, pretty difficult divorce. It was a very contentious divorce and it was a pretty difficult time in my life. I had to move back to Indiana because I had gone to nursing school there. So I knew the hospital was going to give me a job. So I moved back to Ghana. I mean, I mean, I moved back to Indiana and I broke up with my, my girlfriend at the time because we just, it wasn't going to work. Uh, there was just so much guilt and so much, so much trauma from that really abusive relationship. And I was, I was very angry at that point. I was in a very angry point of my life where it was just burn it all down. I didn't give a fuck about nothing. I just, <sighs> I was pretty destructive. I hurt a lot of people. I hurt a lot of people. It was very difficult. So after I moved to Indiana, I still 
did not start working on myself. I didn't know I was in church. I mean, that should be enough. I, reading the Bible and going to going to Bible studies and going out preaching and that should be enough, right? But no, it wasn't. I was still just living in a in a life that other people had envisioned for me. Um, so I just did not work on myself on myself on a deep level. Um, but I was single. I actually that was the longest I had stayed single. It was eight months or so before I met uh, my girlfriend, my next girlfriend, who became my wife. Um, that was I. I stayed single for about eight months, and then I met my ex-wife, and oh, um, that was that was just the best. That was just the best time. Initially, I loved her so much. It was my first time being in a in a relationship with a woman that I could own completely. That I was absolutely in love with a woman and. Uh, loved having sex with a woman and wanted to build a life with a woman. So that was a pretty exciting uh, discovery. But I, it was still me, right? The me who had not done the work, who did not even know where to start with the work. So the beginnings of our relationship was marred with a lot of that residual anger that I had. So um, yeah, it was a tough first eight months. And I think after that first eight months, I was like, yo, Christabel, this keeps happening to you. This keeps happening in every relationship you've ever been in. You are the common denominator. You do not want to lose this woman. And if you don't do something about your temper and your, your ways, you are going to lose her. And that was that my desire to hold on to her was the biggest catalyst I had to looking into um, doing the work I needed to do to become a better version of me. I was terrified of losing her. I did not think it was fair uh, to be this person towards her, especially when a lot of the anger that I had had nothing to do with her. I was very, very depressed at that point. I had suicidal ideations. I had started self-harming. I was cutting. And it was just, it was just going to get really, really bad, um, eventually if I did nothing. So I got my butt in therapy. <laughs> I mean, I knew of therapy in a very peripheral way, but because I had religion, I didn't think I should pursue anything else, right? But here I was living with a woman. So religion wasn't, I wasn't doing that perfectly. So the next best option for me was to look into psychotherapy. That's that's what I figured. And at that time we were living in the we we're living in the Bay Area. So I found a therapist. I went online, researched, found a therapist in Berkeley, and I started therapy. And I took to it like fish to water. Is that how that goes? 
fish to water. Yeah. So I took to therapy so, so, so well. That was what I had been missing. Someone who felt like my person. Someone to listen to me, hear me, tell me that, reassure me that I was not irreparably broken. That just like really um, made me emotional because that was the first time I felt like I was heard. That I wasn't just this broken, angry, violent person who wouldn't amount to anything, who would not be able to have um, fulfilling, intimate relationships. And Deirdre, my Deirdre, sorry, I was going to say dear Thomas, he has been my therapist for the last five years. And I have learned so much about my strength, my worthiness, my my innate worthiness, and I owe so much to him and to therapy. And um, that's why I'm so passionate about making therapy accessible to people. Because many people, especially if you're a black woman or a black person, and even more so an African person, Therapy is for white folks, right? It's not what we do. It's just not what we do. That's the narrative. And um, and I'm just I just want to help other people like me to to especially if you've ever felt broken or felt that you weren't good enough to let you know that there that like there are ways to work towards becoming who you want to be who you've always been for that matter before all the trauma that made you um take on these characteristics so that you stay protected and not hurt. Um, that therapy is is effective. It's not the only way, but it is a pretty good, good tool. It's a pretty good tool. Um, and it's not judgmental, at least my experience with it. It's if you find the right therapist for you, it's not judgmental. It's 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 supportive, it's loving, it's it's um it's the best thing I've ever done for myself and that I continue to do for myself. It's an investment. Uh, but thankfully, as, as the years go on, there are cheaper and more accessible um, ways to get therapy. And I'm going to include um, some links in the description. That And also, you can always reach out to me. 
if you want to talk, I can't give you advice. I don't give advice. That's one thing I don't do. Um, in that I don't like, I'm only, only going to be able to speak from my perspective. And I think that it's, there is, it's important to get professionals who have been trained to look at, um, look at these issues from an objective lens or as objective as they can get from an objective lens to help you without uh, inserting their own, um, you know, biases in there. And that's what I'm going to be doing for you, inserting my own biases. And I think that you deserve better than that. So, yeah, so that's basically... And, and that's basically what has brought me to where I am today. As many of you know me today, I haven't always been this way. And five years into therapy, I'm ever evolving. I'm ever learning. I'm ever growing. I'm ever, ever changing and, and morphing into, into the woman I have always been in, in, inside, into that child, that, um, that pure, pure, pure child that I was before societal and parental conditioning happened. And I'm, I'm so excited for that journey. And in addition to therapy, I have other things that I do. I will probably mention the holistic psychologist a million times throughout these podcasts because she is has been instrumental in understanding certain things such as like inner child trauma, codependency, uh, ego work. She has been really um, instrumental in that. So I really recommend her. There, there goes an advice. I gave you an advice. <laughs> Check out the holistic psychologist. Um, I journal. I meditate. Um, I'm no longer religious, but I'm, I, I've never been more spiritual. I'm learning how to use tarot, um, trusting my intuition more because my intuition is, ooh, it's, it's good and learning to trust it more and more, learning so many other things, um, like connecting with nature and, and just growing, growing in a, in a, in a way that, that, cause I feel like if I get better, the world gets better. I'm able to I'm able to approach the world through a lens of empathy and and compassion and grace and care. And I'm so because I think that's really what the point is of it all. It's not just about self-development, but without that self-development, we cannot be um, contributors to the world to the best of our ability. And so there was a lot of pain. There has been a lot of pain. Um, I wanted to do this episode just to give you an overview of this imperfect person who is just here in community with you, to grow with you, to share my experiences with you. This is not, it's not, the whole podcast is not going to be about my, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be about all my traumas. This is just one thing that I thought was really important to establish 
um, off the bat who I am in totality versus just saying I'm a nurse and this and that and the other. I just wanted to um, um, make sure that the introduction is proper and thorough and um, and honest and vulnerable. And yeah, you know a little bit more about me now. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to the privilege of affording therapy, the privilege of knowing you need therapy, because that's another layer. But that's it for now. That's it for this episode. Uh, stay tuned for the next one. I We're going to get into, um, I don't know what we're going to get into. We'll get into what we get into. Yeah, let's connect later.